0: Hi, I'm Nate in Colorado.
1: I'm Rochella in North Carolina.
0: And James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends will take your questions about life and faith. And the goal we have is to listen and learn and to help one another go further with God. Friends in Formation is produced by Renovare, a Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd love you to join the conversation as well as us, so please email us your questions to friends at renovare.org that's friends at R-E dot org. If we read one of your questions, then we'll give you a coffee mug to symbolize your part of the conversation. And just to assure you, every question is carefully considered. So that's us. We're glad to have you along.
1: Aren't we just so grateful for people who send in questions, y'all? I have one that So resonated with me that I can't wait to get your thoughts. Jessica wrote in and said, in the stage of life that my husband and I are in, they have three young children. They're so involved in so many good things and are faced with lots of opportunities to do more good things. She said, when I sit down and look at our family calendar, I feel overwhelmed and unable to do all that I set out to do. How do I know what to say no to and how do I say no without feeling guilty? <laughs> Sound familiar?
0: Over to you Nate, you've got <laughs> <laughs> you've got plenty of experience of this, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to
2: be known as someone who knows how to say no. You know, in a good, in a good kind way. Too many good things, they all turn into bad things. I mean, I've I've had this where I'm just Filling all these good things, and then now I'm kind of miserable with it. Just to be real simple, guilt to alert us of something wrong. Something needs to change. But otherwise, it's evil and just absolutely destructive.
1: Back up, Nate, back up. So you just made a strong statement. Can you okay. unpack a little bit what you meant by what is evil? Are you saying too many good things?
2: Oh, no, I'm sorry. Guilt. Guilt. guilt lets us know we need to make a change. Right. Confessions in order, or, you know, something needs to change. We make that change. We make our confession and and, and move on. Guilt that remains after that is just destructive. It doesn't help mm. anything. And mm-hmm. it's really quite self-focused. Oftentimes it's more about me than anything else with other people. We'll often look for people to tell us it's okay, which it's mm-hmm. not necessarily healthy, although mm-hmm. it can be helpful. Oftentimes it results in, you know, some sort of impression management that we want others to think well of us and, and oh, such. Yeah. And saying no involves saying no to good things and feeling the pain, suffering through that. Quite simply, the the, the answer, I think, and I struggle with this as well, is just perfectly asking, what should I do? Being really, really thoughtful about the commitments we make, trying to allow space for margin and such. But it's an ongoing struggle for most of us in the modern era.
1: Well, it for sure is for me, and it, something you just said there really resonates, that too often we get caught up in impression management. That is a great term. <laughs> I don't know if you originated that or if you read it elsewhere, but man, that's right. I mean, I sincerely want To be a person who can be trusted, who can be counted upon. But I also want sincerely, if not wisely, to be someone who others think well of, right? (laughs) I I want people to like me. I want my name to come up in their heads if they have something good that they want done. Mm -hmm. But that really is all about me, isn't it? That's not so much wanting to be of service as it is wanting for people to have nice, warm, fuzzy thoughts about me. (laughs) So that impression management, that's going to stick with me. That is a great phrase.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think
2: it's a Dallas phrase.
1: Uh, I think.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I heard it from Jan
0: Johnson. She she says it frequently. Yeah. I mean, your dad's night, I think, in his foreword to a Thomas Kelly book. Can you remind me what that Mm. book was? Testament of Devotion.
1: Yeah. testimony of
0: devotion great
1: that's right yeah. yeah
0: great book and in his introduction i'm pretty sure he says the first time he refused to accept a speaking engagement how hard it was and what a <laughs> difficult thing it was to say no to say no the joy he felt when he did say no, <laughs> because it does get easier i think the more you say no <laughs> and Richard also makes the point very helpfully that every yes requires a no. You might not know what you're saying no to, but you are saying no. It might be no to sleep or time with your spouse or friends or enjoying just anything. But you are saying, you are rejecting things. And so every yes requires a no, I think I found very helpful. I certainly to try to offer up things a lot to God, I'm always sort of saying, is it right to continue with this? Is this the right thing for me? Can I hand it off to somebody else? Is there something else I should do? You know, there's a lovely quote that Mother Teresa says, which I found very helpful. I think she's now a saint, isn't she? Saint (laughs) Teresa. She says, pray for me that I... Don't loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Mm-hmm. Pray for me that I will not loosen my grip on the hands of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering, even doing good things. Because mm-hmm. good things, you know, service of Christ can be in competition with relationship. Christ. I love that. I'm so intrigued by the verse in Mark 12, I think it's 29 following, where they're quizzing him on what's the most important commandment. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) And I think a lot of our problems around this area are we conflate those two Together, we say surely loving other people is basically the same as loving God. You know, let's say in loving other people, we are loving God. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. It's it's not what the commandment says. There's a difference between the loving God and loving others. And if we don't give enough time to loving God. Being in relationship with him, intimacy with him, then the loving others is a competitor. Mm. I remember being told very early on in my own journey, if the opposition, if the evil one, as often we call, if the opposition can't hold us back from doing good things, then they will push us too far in doing good. Good mm-hmm. things. And so we're frazzled. And I certainly know what that's like. I'm so busy serving Jesus, I haven't got time to talk to him.
1: Right. I really think, though, something both of you have alluded to in terms of your relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. I think that part of that is the key to being able to say no, learning to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength means getting to know God the way God really is. And I think that one of our problems is that we have this idea of God as a disappointed taskmaster or vengeful, angry at us. And if that's our picture of God that we start with, then a natural reaction is to try to do more things to gain God's approval. So, learning, get, getting our picture of, of God straightened out and learning that we are God's beloved children, not because of all the good things we do, but because God loves us. I mean, we just start mm-hmm. from a place of being dearly loved and we are not trying to win God's approval. We may, in fact, be trying to win the approval of other people, but I think we need to back up and, and realize that if, if we have a picture of God as someone whose approval needs to be gained, then there's something wrong with our God mm-hmm. narratives. So mm-hmm. if, we can, if we can learn to approach God knowing that He already loves us, God already accepts us, we're just absolutely beloved by God. And from there, ask God, what's the best way for me to serve? And what's the best way for me to preserve time to spend with you? Because that is so important. You mentioned discernment, ain't that? That is something that very often I cannot do by myself. I need you guys to Hmm. say, Rochelle, I I, I don't think that's yours to do. I think you can let that go. Or, you know, don't worry. We, We love you and we think you should be free from that expectation. Do you know we need friends information <laughs> to to help right. us understand who we are in Christ, which is dearly loved. You know we we are so dearly loved. We are already valuable just because we exist and we are held in God's love, not because of anything that we've done or anything that we will do. How do you put that into practice? Well, I think you have to practice. I, r- I really do. Someone has said it's helpful to remember that no is a complete sentence. We scramble because we feel guilty. Right back to what you were saying, Nate, we feel guilty when we say no. And I, I think maybe maybe sometimes we, we ought to have some pricking of the heart when we say yes. Like, mm, I'm overextending. That's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's not what God calls us to. I think very often God is calling us to rest. And I mean, I've heard you say before, James, that, I mean, I've said, I think rest is actually a spiritual discipline. We have to undertake it as such. And you've gone further and said rest is an act of worship. Hmm. I think that's probably right. But it's not an easy thing. And if I could just say here, I think especially for parents, And maybe even Mm -hmm. especially for mothers who are so keyed in to the needs of their children and their children's friends and their children's schools. And, you know, there's so many good things that could be done. So I think probably sometimes stage of life might make this even more acute and might make disciplines like rest or the discipline of simply saying no and letting it stand without justification. That those are even more important at certain stages.
2: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And your statements on our narratives of God, it doesn't just affect this area, it's pretty much all areas of our spiritual life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. pretty critical. Just keep it really simple. We're people with limits. For some reason or another, that's the way God designed designed humans. I have a a really helpful statement to help us say no. And and it goes a little like a little like this. In order for me to be faithful to my current commitments, I'm unable to do this. And and then I love that because it's basically saying, do you want me to be unfaithful? You want me to, you know, who's gonna, you know, argue, argue with that? That's great. I think it's critical that we encourage each other with this. Mm -hmm. Then when someone says, no, that we don't, we don't feed into the guilt thing. We don't press unnecessarily and good job. It hurts. I wish you were there. I wish you could be involved, but I respect and honor that you're setting limits and boundaries. Mm. And I know that Mm -hmm. can be difficult. So well done, friend. (laughs)
0: Mm. Well done. And I found this so helpful. I mean, this has really changed my life all of this, what you two have just said has really been significant to me. There were several people around who talk about a cycle of grace that we need to be aware of. I'm not saying this is true for Jessica at all, so I wouldn't dream of assuming this, but it is possible that we minister and do things in order to try and earn some grace from God in the hopes that the more things we do, the more he'll like us and (laughs) accept us. And if it's not about him, it's about, you know, others, they'll accept us. And that means we're driven. So, So we do stuff to experience grace, whereas the other way around is if we can really enter into that experience of we are loved, as you said, Rochella, and accepted, and the things we do flow out of that acceptance, it's a reversal of the whole story. And I found that really you know, helpful. And people like Trevor Hudson have spoken on The Cycle of Grace. John Ortberg has spoken on The Cycle of Grace. And a psychologist, Crank Lake has also spoken on it, and I'd encourage us just to explore that a bit. Here's one thing to say. I know it's hard to believe that, but sometimes the greatest act of faith isn't to help other people. It's just to go to bed, go to bed. Mm -hmm. I joke about it, but, you know, saving the world might not be as important as go to bed. You don't, (laughs) and the world will still be there Afterwards, and the kingdom what's this line that the kingdom isn't under threat if we don't clear our inbox every day you know and and people think that's a joke, but there's something in us that thinks I must do it, but the kingdom will be there the kingdom can survive I know that's a bit flippant, but you understand the point right thank
1: <laughs> God God has the whole world in his hands right, right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: While we're talking about grace, we've had a really interesting question that I would love to get your input on. It's from Nicola, and she says this, When moving forward to understand some of the deep riches of other Christian traditions that have not been familiar to me, I sometimes find myself looking back at my own stream, the origin And I feel, begin to feel pretty grumpy. Does anyone else (laughs) find this happens to them? Any tips on not falling, ironically, into judgmentalism about our origin, our family of origin in our faith? I think what Nicola is asking is we're often the greatest critic of the stream that was our stream, our background, Mm -hmm. whether it's the contemplative stream, the holiness stream, the charismatic stream, the evangelical stream, the social justice stream, or the incarnational stream. Those are all um, streams within the church historically. And I've certainly um, spotted that people can be the most critical of the stream they come out of. So I'm very intrigued by what you guys have got to say on this.
1: Yeah, Nicola, welcome to the club, right? I think you're right, James. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a funny story from my past. My mother was once working on a counted cross-stitch sampler, right? Which was a beautiful thing she was working on. And her niece, who was very small at the time, was sitting on her lap and wanted to see what Aunt Velda was working on. And the little girl took this piece of cross-stitch in her hands and was fingering it and looking at it and saying how pretty it was, and then turned it over and saw what it looked like from behind. And she furrowed up her little brow and said, we don't look at the back. (laughs) And we all laughed. But I think that some of what you're saying, James, is when we've been part of a stream, we've looked at the back. We've seen all the stuff behind the curtain we've seen what really goes on, and it can be really disturbing when we have an inside look at something. And then later, when we see something else from the front, (laughs) if you want to use that image, then the other thing really can look so much better or so refreshing of course, it doesn't occur to us that other people might have exactly the opposite experience from going from tradition to tradition. But I sympathize with Nicola because I was reared in a tradition that later I I thought, you know, I, I just don't think I can stay here. I don't think that this is for me. And when I first left, all I could think about were all the things I had missed. From growing up in that tradition. And it really was reading Richard Foster's Streams of Living Water that made a huge difference in my life because I realized that my tradition represented one of those streams. And one of those streams had fed me and nourished me and brought me along to the point that I was then able even to make a change. But had I not been fed in that stream, I don't know that I would have ever gotten there, and I am so grateful now to look on the stream that I came up in because I'm able to to think, oh, well, because of that, I have lots of scripture memory in my bank, and I I I know, as you guys know, I know the lyrics to hundreds of hymns. That's because of my religious tradition. You know, there's so, and I have friends, friends who remain in that tradition, but I know for certain. That they are good and godly and wise people who have just not made the same changes that I have. So there's something good about almost every Christian tradition and learning to to take what is good and to realize that we, we may not still need to be fed from that same plate, but it doesn't mean what's on the plate is to be reviled.
0: But not everything is good about them as well, though, Richella, wouldn't you no, say? No, that's exactly I mean, right.
1: Not everything is good.
0: There are some things it would be quite good to leave on the side of the plate.
1: That's right. <laughs> that's right.
2: I'm really glad for this question because it's extremely common. And usually when people talk about it, there's a sense of, I don't know if guilt's the right word, but just discomfort that I grew up in this and I was fully in, but yet there's some really problematic things. I would mm-hmm. say good. That's extremely healthy. It's a little like mm-hmm. our family of origin. You you get into your 20s or, you know, earlier and, and you start going, I don't know if I'm lockstep with these things. You start seeing some of the challenges or destructive pieces in our family. Healthy, it helps us mm-hmm. to, to grow. So in a sense, I'd be encouraged by it. And my hope is that in time, we're able to do like you were talking about, Rochelle, is look back and find the treasures. And see what's you know really good within that tradition we grew up in and and also remember that some traditions can look more like a cult than bride of Christ, and it may not truly be representative of the stream you know I've right. said this the other day, mm-hmm. uh, legalism is not holiness at all, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. exact opposite of sorts, right. and so sifting through what's really of God and what was not and what was helpful? That's a great question. I'm so glad she's wrestling with it.
0: It is, mm-hmm. it is. And just to build on that, every tradition that we talk about in Renovare, I can't say every tradition ever, but every tradition that we talk about in Renovare has a virtue and a vice connected with it. Each one has a virtue size and a vice side. And actually, the vice is usually the virtue taken to excess. That's right. Actually, they look very similar. In fact, the point is, when you're raised in one of them, you know where the bodies are buried, as it were, Mm -hmm. you know, where the bodies (laughs) are buried. Whereas you look across into somebody else's, you say, oh, that looks really great. Mm -hmm. But actually, there's some excesses in theirs as well.
1: Yeah, they've got bodies buried somewhere too.
0: (laughs) They've got some bodies buried somewhere (laughs) else. And and you'll learn soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll learn soon enough. I mean, I I know what it's like. I mean, you know, if you've been brought up in a tradition and you find Jesus later, Mm -hmm. you often are pretty um, hostile to the tradition you came out of, and I understand that. And what Rochelle is saying is, find the best of that stream find the best what is it the best at Mm -hmm. and and take that but I'd say one more thing and this is I think if it's at a deeper level I mean Nicola talks about she feels Mm carumpy about a stream okay I understand that but some people are you know hurt and are hurting because of the excess we need to follow the pain why is the pain there what is the pain saying and what might the Holy Spirit be saying through the pain? Is it a pain of regret, of harking back, of a day's gone by? Is it a relationship that it conjures up? There's all sorts of things. And I would just say, rather than just trying to push it away, why do we feel that? And what might the Lord be saying to us in it? Mm-hmm. And one of the pain points in her question was,
2: I think she alluded to being embarrassed of who she was in in, in some of that. Two things I'd comment on that. One is let that give you some grace for people who are in that. They're growing too, and they may not be where they are in coming years. The other piece that can be where judgment can creep in is I'm now finding life in this new tradition or this new stream. And so mm-hmm. you better too, or something's wrong with you if you're not mm-hmm. swimmer, you're not with this same thing. And both are just very destructive.
1: No, that's a good word, Nate. Yeah. That also can be part of the pain to follow. The wishing that those we love the most who are left behind in, in a way are still swimming that, in that other stream. It can be hurtful that they're not with us. Well, I think we can work on the relationship and leave aside the fact that we maybe have some disagreements about how best to serve in a particular church or tradition and still treasure the relationship, still express the love, still be grateful for what is good, still be gracious in what we are leaving off. And remember that Just as we are beloved children of God, so are they. So are they.
2: All right, I have a question for us, and this one comes to us from Marty. Does Christianity have a body problem? What is the body and what is its connection to our spirituality as it relates to formation?
0: That oh, is such oh. a good one. I'm so pleased <laughs> that's come up. It's interesting because I think historically the church has had this ambivalence um, towards the physical. Sometimes the church has been incredibly into it, and sometimes it's been incredibly critical of it. I can understand why we've been asked about this. I love the John one fourteen line: "The Word became flesh and to wel.t Among us, I love the Eugene Peterson approach and moved into our street or moved into the neighborhood. Because I do think actually ours is a very fleshly faith, it's very affirming of the physical body it's very affirming of sex it's very affirming of the carrying of the habits and the spiritual disciplines we carry them physically within us your habits are very much a body thing dealing with physical i'm always intrigued in john 20 we have this great line and when he jesus had said this he breathed on them, I just think it's a very physical Jesus here. He breathed on them. In the Catholic Church, when a couple get married, the priest will sometimes blow on them themselves, <laughs> will actually blow into their face as if to breathe the Holy Spirit upon the <laughs> the new husbands and. Wife, and it makes me feel what a physical faith mm-hmm. we have. That sounds awful.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I yeah, depends on who's blowing
2: eyes at you, right? Have <laughs> right. <Yeah>. they <laughs> taken
0: any freshener that day or something? I realise that, but um, but you see the point.
1: It's interesting to me to think about the struggles that we have right now with the body it feels like something I'm reading about every day. And boy, if there ever were an ancient issue, this is it, right? I mean, think back to some of the the New Testament writings were actually penned to oppose the Gnostics. There's always been this sort of Greek way of looking at things, a division between the body and the spirit, uh, the juxtaposition of whether only the spiritual is valuable and the physical is, you know, just to be discarded or disregarded or disrespected. I mean, these are are ancient questions, and I think we have a, a brand new form of this kind of heresy going on in social media every day. We can very easily think of folks we encounter via the internet as disembodied persons, right? We we think of people maybe as their avatars rather than as living, breathing image bearers of God. It's part of the reason folks are so mean to one another is the disregarding of the, the human body with all its frailty and with all its glory. I've been thinking lately that some of the evils of our present world could be healed, particularly if Christians <laughs> could learn to remember that two things can be true at the same time. If we would learn to deal with the tension that things are in the world are, are complicated, that human beings are complex, not because they are unfaithful, but because God made us complex beings. So, Yeah, I would say in the church there is a body problem. There's either the disregarding of the body or the disrespect of the body or the idea that one person gets to say how everyone else should view their bodies. I mean, we struggle with this. And yet our bodies are what God has given us to live this life in. And Jesus's body is what he got to walk around on this earth in. And we are not disembodied souls; we are full people. It is true that we have eternal souls. It is also true that we have bodies. You know we're not minds on a stick, we're not bodies without minds. It's all of the above, and we are learning i think with um particularly with some recent developments in in neurology and neuropsychiatry we are realizing that things that happen to our bodies get remembered by our bodies even if we think we've moved on from them our bodies remember you know we have muscle memory there's a book called the body keeps the score so our bodies are important they are part of who we are not things that we're just looking to overcome but things that we are looking to be redeemed. We want to use our whole selves to love God and love others.
2: Helpful. Thank you. Her question of, do Christians have a body problem? Yes. <laughs> in a right. Bad. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember all of us in, in our modern society are victims of a multi-billion dollar industry That is hell-bent on convincing us something is broken in the way Mm -hmm. we look Mm -hmm. and that they have a solution. So many people live in absolute bondage to things they can't control or trying to control things in a way that is soul-crushing. I remember at one point my wife had said, I I don't like being around Christian women, older Christian Mm -hmm. women, because all they do is talk about how they look and how disparaging they are with it and Mm -hmm. just how Awful that is for everyone, in in a sense. I'm very fascinated by kind of some of these new movements in society of body positivity. They have a lot, a lot to teach us. From a religious standpoint, there's a rich history of hating one's body. And if it feels good, it must be bad. And certainly the body is the space in which a lot of destructive habits and sin is worked out. Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard's book, Chapter Nine is on the body. It's a good place, good place to start. Yep. Yep. The last part of our question, what is the body?
0: I wonder if you guys take a stab at that. Well I've got several things I could say on that. I'm just intrigued, just to to link off one thing you said about older people talking about their bodies. And I was always amused by the line that Dallas Willard put saying we should write on our Tombstones, what was most significant for us, or what we cared about more than anything else, because it would reveal a lot about what we. And he made this joke of you put on someone's tombstone, she had good teeth. (laughs) She had good (laughs) teeth. You know, because that seemed to be the thing that was most important, getting those right. I was just interested in that because we do care about our physiques hugely. There is an issue there. And also, Thales Willard said the body is the power pack, the little mm-hmm. power pack we each have. It's the kingdom over which what we want done, we think we're in control of it. And for much of our lives we are, but older people, as we get older, we realize we're not as in in charge of it as we were and we have to decide what we're going to do with that and how do i invest the kingdom that i'm in charge of the physical body that i have how do i invest that into god's greater kingdom and those are challenges for all of us i think yeah give us your
2: thoughts one other point that occurs to me is some of the studies on kids growing up today this is transcending gender, mm-hmm. but that it's really a part of the culture for young people and a, a cliche to just be very disparaging of one's body. I think as, as we grow older, we're going to be, we should be really intent on the way in which we talk about things and helping people.
1: If I could just say one thing about the particular question, does the church have a problem with the body? I know that growing up as a Christian girl and then becoming a Christian woman and thinking about my body in the church, I would say, oh boy, does the church ever have trouble with the body. And part of it is just what we were saying about the streams of Christian tradition, that often the vice is sort of the virtue taken to extreme. That happens a lot, I think, with how we view our bodies. So for instance, I grew up with a really strong teaching about what was called humility. I say what was called humility because it was actually, when I took the time to get under it, it it, it was actually more like self-hatred that I ought to talk about myself in disparaging terms. And lucky for me, my body is so imperfect that it provided lots to talk about. I mean, it's true. I have a highly imperfect physical form. And I learned that I ought to, sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Part of the way I was formed was disparaging my body. And then later in some of the churches teaching, not my church, but the wider church's teaching on modesty, I learned that I ought to be very distrustful of my body and that I should cover my body and that my body could be a stumbling block to my brothers in Christ. And on and on and on it goes, rather than viewing our bodies as gifts from God. That little power pack analogy is a great one. God gave us bodies, and in our bodies are these marvelous tools, our brains for thinking and remembering, our our eyes for seeing the glory of creation, our noses for taking in the amazing smell of, of fresh flowers or of Freshly mown grass or of rain that's about to come down. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that are part of the physical creation. Here we are in it. And we have so twisted things into thinking that bodies must be bad and my body must be really bad. It's part of getting the God narrative straight, I think, to recognize that God created us with bodies. And in fact, the eternal son took on a human body. I think bodies must be better than we've given them credit for (laughs) because Jesus dwelt in one.
0: And if I can just stretch this a little bit more, if we take the polity as the body of the church, Mm. there's a polity issue in the church in the sense that we are very picky. We can be very picky as to who's included and who's kept out. You know, mm-hmm. the people with physical issues, disability, whatever your issue is, we can obviously, we, we don't say it, but some people are not included. There's a subtone, subtext is you don't have a place here. It's a tragedy.
1: Yeah, God forgive us when we ever look at fellow image bearers and think of them merely as prayer requests because right. their, their bodies are not quite up to snuff. Right. No, I mean, you're right. There are huge implications for folks who live with disabilities or just differences. We we have a lot of work to do in this area. I will say for, for anyone who maybe struggles in particular with her, his or her own body and spirit, I wrote a book about how I trained myself to feel very insecure about my own body and mind and soul. I tackle some of these issues because, you know, it kind of started with the physical disability. That's what sort of set me on the path. It's not a good one, but I can tell you there's hope. I can tell you that despite the fact that you've been trained to view your body as bad or view the bodies of others as bad, you can be retrained and we can learn to see our bodies as the gifts that they are. And then we can use our bodies to develop the habits that we're always talking about. <laughs> it's our bodies that allow us to do things like pray and rest. And that's how our characters can be transformed.
0: Thank you so much. It's a great book. I recommend it. It's really Oh, awesome. thank you, James. And, and many other issues as well. And one last joke, which is, I know one or two churches where the Body is such a a cool thing. There's such an adulation of the body that if you don't wear the right kinds of jeans, there's a sense of being excluded. If it's not a high brand, (laughs) you know, if there's not if there's not a really cool brand of jeans, then you're slightly out of it. (laughs) Or the right shoes or in your haircut. (laughs) I mean, you know this happens. There is that sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. time so um yeah let's see what we can do about this
1: all we like sheep have gone astray right (laughs) thank god for the good shepherd who can bring us back in
0: (laughs) right there we have it another episode over we're so grateful to you for joining us on this episode of renovare's friends in formation now you can head over to renovare org to find out loads of other materials and helps and guides and insights and of course there's the regular renovare podcast as well we'd really like to have your questions please do send them to friends at renovare.org that's friends at r-e-n-o-v-a-r-e dot org. many thanks